Hello and welcome back to the Angus Alive Cultural Team podcast, The Road to Angus. Um, In this week's episode, we will be taking an in-depth look at one of our smallest but no less important museums, Kerry Muir Gateway to the Glens. We'll be looking at the history of the Grade A listed building, as well as the collection it houses. So if that's something that would interest you, keep listening. Hello, I'm Adeline and I'm the cultural team lead for Angus Alive. Hello, I'm Rachel Jackson and I'm the museum's exhibition lead for Angus Alive. You are, it's the first time we've had the same uh, interviewee two weeks in a row. Oh no, <laughs> a repeat. <laughs> you were so popular last week, everybody loved you. Oh, thank you. It was probably the topic that was pro- popular. <laughs> okay. Um, so last time we, we got into a bit about what your job was, but um, you're only recent to the post that you have now. Yes. That's what that. were you, when did you start? Um, so my background hasn't always been in culture, actually. Um, I'm originally from Yorkshire. I left school after GCSEs and I moved up to Scotland and I worked in an office for a bit and then I decided to go back to education and I did a I did a HNC and then a HND and then eventually went to uni and I uh, I worked for a large supermarket as a as a customer service manager and dealt with some of the worst complaints that people had and after I had a family and took time away from work I became really interested in local history and started working for regeneration projects. And it was when the children went back to school that I started working in my local museum, which is actually the museum we're talking about today, the Gateway to the Glens Museum. Yeah, so you worked your way up there as well because you you just started behind the desk. I did, I started, yeah, as a museum assistant and then a senior museum assistant and then museum officer. So I've been through all the roles. (laughs) <laughs> so you're an aficionado on carrying your gateway to the Glen. Well, maybe. But can I ask you, where did the name come from, carrying your gateway to the Glen? Um. Well, I mean, the Kirimur. It's the history of the name of Kirimur goes back a long way, and there's lots of different, uh, loads and loads of different spellings of the the word Kirimur. I always say to children when they come to visit the museum, it doesn't matter if they spell it wrong because there's been about 30 different spellings of the name. <laughs> <laughs> and then, the um, gateway, and, sorry, the gateway, sorry, go on. The gateway to the Glens bit is um, is really because Kirimur is is literally the gateway into the uh, the kind of eastern Cairngorms and the Angus Glens, all roads. Mm-hmm from Kiri lead up to the glens which are beautiful and we have um some country parks up there as well so when lockdown's over everyone can go and visit them after they visit a gateway to the glen obviously <laughs> yes <laughs> um so tell us when did um Kerry Muir gateway for the glen become a museum um so it opened as a museum in 2001 so it's a uh, it's 19 year, years old this year as a museum but the building itself is actually much older than that yeah the building itself is a lovely um red sandstone toll booth 
Um, it was built around 1604. It's right in the heart of the square in Kirimur. If, if listeners haven't visited, it's a, a real must once we're able to. And yeah, it's it was originally built as a, like I say, a toll booth, which had a, a jail downstairs and then a courtroom upstairs where all the officials would meet. Um, well, yeah, just really the official building of the town. Um they were often used for kind of official proclamations. So when the building was first built in Kirimur, it had a an external staircase that, if you can imagine, the uh, the town crier in um, the, the the day would stand at the top of the stairs and proclaim all the news to the locals who would be at the market, the butter market. In the square, so it was a the kind of hive of activity outside the toll booth. Yeah, um, and it is a, a Grade B listed building as well. Can you tell our listeners what that would mean? Yeah, so it's um, that there's actually only one Grade A listed building in Kirimura, and that's the lovely uh, Episcopalian church built by James Playfair. And in the centre of Kirimura, there's a conservation area, and there's many grade B listed buildings, which just really mean that they're of, um, you know, they're of historical interest and we want to preserve them. Um, so the, the, it's a lovely conservation area in the square where the building is. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and it, it, it is a beautiful building as well. And as, as you said, it opened as a toll booth, but it, and it has been, it is now a museum, but it has worn many caps over the years. It has, um, yeah. It has. So it opened first as a toll booth. Was there any notable cases that came out of there? Um, well, it, it, we knew it had a this jail underneath, the kind of black hole. We talked about the jail in Brecon um, in our yeah. last uh, episode, and it, it's quite a similar building. It would have had the, the jail underneath. Um, it changed over kind of th three times throughout its life. It's had major changes to it. Um, around, I don't know, about 1860, the uh, the house was at, the, the townhouse was actually described as an eyesore and it was a bit of a disgrace to the community. It had uh, urinals outside and it, it had not been looked after. So... From there, it was changed into a the kind of prettier building it is today with a, a tower, a clock tower, and the lovely curved bows as well at the front of the building. And by that time, so, it, it still had the courtroom, but it was also the police the police office as well at that time. So the, there were urinals right outside the police office? Yes, not a pretty sight. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was it used for after that? Well, around that time, as well as being a, a police office, it was also used for um, stamping linen. Um, and so at that time in 1860, what renovations were carried out? Yeah, so John Carver, an architect from Meagle, um, was asked by uh, kind of one of the, the earls of, of Angus to, um, to look at making the building just alter it to uh, to make the building more suitable for its purpose. It had actually also been used as a stamping room as well, um, where the the weavers of Kirimur would take their their linen, their long strips of linen, 
to be stamped for quality to be approved. Um, so if any if any linen uh, weaver had not produced the goodest quality they could, then it would be ripped up on the, you can imagine the stairs outside for all the public to see. So after that, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> after and that, linen was a massive industry in Angus, linen yeah. and linen flax and weaving. That's right, yeah. I mean, Kirimil was was uh, alive with the kind of click clack sound of all the handloom weavers. And then, um, as we talked about Fabrican, you know, the Industrial Revolution <clears throat> saw the handloom weavers move into factories. And uh, one of the, the main factories in Kirimil was Jane D. Wilkie's, and that's been around for about 150 years now. And is it still open today? <clears throat> still open today, yes. Wow. Have a look at your linen goods and see where the fabric came from. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so there were major renovations in 1860 to make a beautiful building. Um, That's right. Um, so when when did it stop being a toll booth then? Um, well, I mean, it's still it's still classed as a, a toll booth or a townhouse now. But um, once the police uh, office moved in, it had this different purpose, really. The uh, As the years moved on, the, um, the police then moved out of the building because they had a purpose-built constabulary office built somewhere else in the town. And um, the building was changed again for its use. It became a post office. And it had a telegraph's office upstairs and the postmaster he would run the whole building about the uh, 1900s, early 1900s. Wow. And we had um, we had a lovely exhibition of, um, what was the exhibition called, on the postal service? Yeah, we've got a temporary exhibition in the museum at the moment, which tells the history of the post office in the area. And uh, once we reopen to the public, that people will be able to see that. Yeah, it's beautiful exhibition. You did a really good job on it, yourself and James. <laughs> so many people really remember the building um, from the 60s to the, you know, kind of mid 90s as a chemist. And there was many different um, chemists. Uh, there was a Thomas Martin. There was a David Buchanan. And most the kind of last chemist to be there was a Mrs. Kidd and she she's remembered fondly by a lot of the people who still come into the museum. Yeah, um if you're looking for it as um in in its phase as a chemist, I would direct you to our this week's thumbnail where we have a beautiful picture of it being a chemist. Yeah. Um but yes, so then we acquired it as a museum in 2001. That's right. From uh, kind of 1992 till 2001, the building was empty, and um, obviously there was a lot of community interest in the in the usage of the building, and um, it opened to the public. And it really has two galleries in the museum. The downstairs gallery tells the the really um, the rich history of Kirimul. And then the upstairs gallery focuses on the glens and um, the life and work in the glens and the wildlife as well. Oh, and we also have uh, an exhibition of one of Curie Muir's most favourite sons. That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, 
over the 19 years that uh, the museum's been open, the, the audience has changed slightly. Um, you know, at one time, many visitors to Kirimur knew the town as uh, the, the birthplace of J.M. Barry, um, the famous playwright and author. And, you know, there's a link to Peter Pan and the, uh, the lovely birthplace of J.M. Barry is also a nice museum to visit. But it's a lovely then, museum. <laughs> yeah, in the last uh, 10 years or so, there's been a different audience who flocked to Kirimur, and that, that's been fans of the band, the rock band ACDC. Yeah, of which I am one, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and why is that? That's because um, the original lead singer of the band, Bon Scott, um, his family came from Kirimur. He was uh, brought up... Um, just not far from the, the museum, his family owned a bakery and they lived there until, well, Bon was about six years old and they became one of the many families who emigrated to Australia for a, a sunnier life. Yeah, beautiful sunshine and wide open spaces. But um, every year now, for how long? There has been um, a Bon Fest in Kerrymuir as well, which um, uh, Kerrymuir Gateway to the Glen is always is always happy to support. Yeah, we we join in with um, its local mu music charity DD8 Music, who've uh, done a fantastic job at each year for I think it must be about 10, 12 years, organising a large music festival. And um, so during the the weekend of the festival, we try and have a, a kind of contemporary display of posters and music memorabilia so that the fans coming into the town can learn a bit about the history of Kirimur but also look at uh, a great collection of ACDC items. Yeah and we do get a lot of people in solely specifically to see um, our collection of items which aren't actually ours we should uh, point out. That's right we're, we're very lucky to have a large number of objects loaned from Neil MacDonald who's a um, probably one of Scotland's biggest collector of ACDC items. He has everything you could think of. Um, um, we do, do have a, a small collection of memorabilia, which has been donated by fans each year. They come into the museum and they, um, you know, they'll take the T-shirts that they're wearing off and give us them. And <laughs> <laughs> Which we always encourage. We're always very grateful um, to the public for donating. Yes. Um, but anyway, getting back to Kerrymore Gateway for the Glen, can you tell us um, some of the key points where the building has played a significant role in the local history? Yeah, I mean, one one particular point, the building was actually involved in a riot. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the, um, the weaving town at that point, you know, obviously we've talked about the weavers would bring up their their completed linen to the, the toll booth and it was inspected there for quality and they would be paid. But um, the uh, a dispute arose around May time in 1839 and the weavers and the manufacturers had a, a bit of a falling out about the, the price that was paid for their fabric. And so we've got a, a kind of a group of hungry and disgruntled weavers who marched through the, the town, marched through the streets of Kirimur, and um, they were met by a special force of, force of constables who'd come up from Dundee. 
and oh my God. Uh, the Baron Bailey in charge of the, the town at that time tried to kind of read the riot act to the crowd but he was actually he was actually hit on the head by a haddock's head he was he was somebody <laughs> threw at him which knocked spectacles off his nose oh no <laughs> that was one very militant lady Betsy Murphy and the Bailey and his uh, forces they were forced to take refuge in the townhouse so it was, it was a very secure building and um, they had to wait there until reinforcements came so a poor uh, poor Betsy who was involved in it and another woman they were among six ringleaders who were actually apprehended and tried and sentenced and they suffered long-term imprisonment for for that um, riot What's do we know how long they spent in prison? No, I don't know that actually. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, the word the word heckle, you know, kind yeah. of to, to shout remarks at somebody. It's actually derived from the weavers, who uh, you know, it was their role to kind of comb or heckle the flax, the raw ingredient oh. for the fabric, and that's where the um, the kind of word heckle comes from. Fantastic. That's yeah. um, another claim to fame. So we've got, Kerry Muir's got Bon Scott, J.M. Barry, and the word heckle. Yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the museum tells the story of many of the, the famous folk of Kerry. There's Sir Charles Lyle, who was the eminent geologist, and Sir Human Rowe, who, um, you know, mountains over 3,000 feet were named after the Human Rowe. Oh, yeah, it's, it's that, very it, true. It's actually called the Kirimura effect, and I think somebody's written a dissertation on it at some point about how there's a lot of uh, kind of people who strived to uh, to to become, you know, well known in their fields from from small towns. Yeah, excel. Yeah, it must be. It's probably something to do with the education that they got. Maybe yes. Yeah. We actually have currently an ongoing project with our archives. Or the school records so maybe something will come out with that we'll, we'll find something out yep about the curry skills anyway um in preparation for this podcast i asked you um a question with regards to the collection that we have in curry Moor gateway to the glen yes so i asked you for one unusual object one surprising object and one really interesting object so which one would you like to start with? Well, first of all, I have to say it's such a hard question. It was a really mean question to ask me because there's so many unusual and surprising and interesting objects. Oh, no. <laughs> Hang on. For our listeners, she was given a choice. I said that you can talk about some of the interesting items there or I can give you three adjectives. And she chose the three adjectives. Yeah. So brought it on herself <laughs> okay so which one would you like to start with unusual surprising or interesting yeah well we'll start with unusual and um these we'll are probably my personal favorites so other people might have different objects that they pick but uh my I, I really think I, I like you would because Kerry Muir is quite small and I will up at this point direct people through the 3D tour or the 360 degree tour that we have of Kerry Muir which will be linked down in the description of this episode if you'd like to see some of the objects we're talking about as well and the actual inside of the museum because um, it is quite small but there's a lot we have a lot in there. 
there is it's pa packed with a lot of interesting things and we have to thank um um the gentleman that did the 360 tour for us as well so yeah. my, un my unusual object is actually um we have a a piece which is a packaging from gingerbread which um is quite unusual to have a, a museum um with some kind of food packaging we, we wouldn't normally have that but uh Kirimio's got a long association with making gingerbread and um about 100 years ago there's a, a baker named walter burnett who created the gingerbread the, the Kirimio gingerbread from a recipe apparently given to him by a, a mystery a mystery man Ooh. and the baker, Mr. Burnett, began making gingerbread in South Muir, which is just a, a small part of Kirimuir. And then it was passed down to his son and then um, passed down again. And uh, eventually this the bakery was sold to the Scott family in 1922. So there's a connection with Bon Scott there again. And the, oh. the gingerbread is a must. You have to try and taste the gingerbread when you come to Kirimuir. There is a big thing in, in Angus as a whole of food, like because obviously you've got Angus beef and you've got the brideys and you've got smokies. But like every town has a specific food, I think, that you have to try when you go there. Oh, definitely. And if you come to Kirimiyor, it's not just gingerbread. It's ice cream and star rock as well, because there's a, a very old um, sweetie shop that's in the town that actually Jay and Barry used to visit. So it's been around since kind of early 1800s and they still produce the star rock on the premises and it smells lovely oh i'll have to go and visit there yeah <laughs> okay so this is the unusual item so the surprising item so i think my my choice for surprising was because this the, the visitor's reaction to it is often surprising um as visitors to the museum climb the stairs up to the glens gallery they're often given the fright of their life by our mannequin dressed as a spaceman. Um, we call him Jim because he's, um, he's actually wearing a NASA training suit, which was donated by Jim Riley, who was a, um, an astronaut in the um, 1990s, who he flew aboard the shuttle Endeavour and um, he had various visits to the International Space Station as well. So... His suit is on um, the mannequin as they, they reach the top of the stairs and I think they don't expect it. Yeah, the NASA training suit for astronauts. And um, is he for, is he a local from Kerry Muir? Uh, no, it's a, it's a bit of a tenuous connection. The, uh, the suit was gifted to the people of Kerry Muir um, through a gentleman who was a Kerry Muirian, um, Jim Smith, and he worked for NASA for many years. Um, and he arranged the the connection and um, he's also arranged many kind of children's activities, space schools and things like that. And alongside the mannequin, we actually have a, a framed kind of collection of images of a, a flag that's been into space and um, an image of Kiri Muir from space as well. Um, so there's a bit of a connection there. Well, it's not a bit of a connection. It's a, it's a connection. It's a straight connection. <laughs> okay. And the last one is our really interesting. Oh, so this was the hardest because all our objects are really interesting. But See, uh, it, for me, it was really easy. Will I tell you mine? Oh, go on then. 
it's the grandfather clock downstairs. Oh. I really love it. I love the face of it. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we have um, three lovely Scottish long case clocks in the museum in the gallery downstairs. One of those actually came all the way from Germany in the front seat, the passenger seat of a car that was donated to us. So that that is interesting, that one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I'm talking about. I, I really like the face on that one as well, because it's yeah. um, it's really intricate and it's just beautifully made. Like, Yeah. Well, anyway, my, cho my choice for the interesting object was um, is the the beautiful silver freedom casket that's on display. And it's it's an interesting object, but also the background is how it came to the museum is really fascinating because um, this is the freedom casket that was was awarded to J.M. Barry where when he became freedom he, he became uh, free man of Kiri Muir in in June nineteen thirty. So we've just had that anniversary actually, and um, the story of how it made its way back to Kiri Muir is uh, is quite fascinating because one day in um, 2013 a lady um, a friend of the museum came in and said her one of her friends who lived in Somerset had seen this freedom caskets coming up for auction um, so we looked into it and realized it was the genuine freedom casket and uh, our museum manager went down to Somerset and actually bid for the, the item and we managed to secure it even though it went for it, it was expected to go for about £3,000, but it went for 7200 But thankfully, with funding from Angus Council and the Art Fund and the National Fund for Acquisitions, we managed to acquire it. Yeah, it's back where it should be, where it belongs. Yeah. And um, it, this uh, casket had disappeared, you know, after J.M. Barry's death. We think it went to his niece. Um, it came up for auction in the 50s and it sold for £56 and then disappeared again. But um, it's actually on display now in the museum, along with the uh, the quill, the silver quill that, that Barry used to sign the, the register. And um, a very probably rare... In his probably really unlegible handwriting, because for an author, J.M. Barry's handwriting was genuinely bad. Yeah, the, the letters that we have are difficult to read. And as he got older as well, it, they're, they're much harder to read. Yeah, which is, uh, that surprised me, I have to say. I'd, like, you, you would need a degree just to read a single letter from him, I think. Yes, thanks to our volunteers <laughs> at Archives, they do a lot of transcribing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, the case, um, the freedom case is it's it's really beautiful. We haven't had it out on display that long, have we? Um, well, no, since since it came back uh, to us into our collection, we've we've had it on display. Um, it's really lovely. It has um, it's it's decorated with images of the buildings that meant something to Barry. So it has it actually has the museum building, the the townhouse on the casket, which is. <laughs> It's, it's just like it's supposed to be on display there. And then it has window and thrums and um, Barry's birthplace and Strathview and yeah. different buildings around the town. It's really beautiful. And um, you, if you would like to see an image of the box, we will have it on our social media. So head on over there and have a look after you've listened to this. That's but, right. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, thank you so much for popping in today, Rachel, and speaking to us. That's okay. And if you would like to hear from Rachel again, which I, I'm under the impression everybody does, um, <laughs> please let us know. And if you have any ideas for podcasts that you would like to hear, um, let us know. And until next time, I will speak to you soon. And if you enjoyed that episode, don't forget to subscribe. We put out new episodes every Wednesday for the duration of the lockdown. And to see some of the other exciting activities going on, please check out our social media and or our website. Links, as always, are in the description down below. And until next time, be healthy, be active and be creative.